The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. It's good to be able to worship together. If you want to take your Bibles out, go to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 11 through 13 uh, together this morning. I realize after last week's message how uh, quick-witted some of you are. Uh, I guess apparently I didn't have this planned, but in my message I talked about thank you cards, and so I got a lot of those this week. <laughs> and I said in terms of if I go to a funeral or like a graduation party, I didn't listen too closely, but I got a bunch. Some were sincere and honest, most were not. Uh, so to you, quick-witted, I, I guess I'd share with you, I also don't like $100 bills. I think those are <laughs> overrated. And so I kind of stink and stuff. So if you want to be funny, send them to me this week. No, I appreciate that. It means you're listening. I, I do like that. I like that kind of humor. It's funny to get those every day in my box. And I did read them. I read all of them. Uh, so I appreciate that. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13 is where we'll be. And throughout Ephesians so far, uh, we have seen <clears throat> the Apostle Paul uh, teaching us many things. But so far, he's been writing in a way, and we talked about this at the beginning, and I know this is kind of educational and stuff, but in the indicative mode, meaning he's been writing in a way of telling us all these things that God has done for us, nothing yet for us to do, nothing at all. And I, I think really that makes us uncomfortable oftentimes because we like to be given a task and do the task and know that the task is done and that we're all good and it's over with. And we still haven't got to that point uh, in these passages, as we get to chapters 4, 5, and 6, we'll see a lot of imperative, is what it's called, of being told, now, if God has done this, live this way. This is what you do. So it's so when you get into the family section or uh, all those different things in Ephesians that we, that we think about at the end that we will, that we will get to. Uh, but today, actually, as we get to verse 11, we have our very first imperative statement, our very first statement of something for us to do. And it could get us excited, but it's kind of an easy, an easy task, but it's one often forgotten. So if you look at verse 11, just read the first two words there. Paul says, therefore, remember. <clears throat> and so he's talked a lot about, again, what God has done. He spent chapter one doing that versus uh, in chapter two, verses one through 10 are probably some of the most famous passages in Ephesians of hearing again what God has done by grace through faith. You have been saved. And we see this, this great truth. <clears throat> and so he gets off on verse 10 talking about how we are God's workmanship. We have been made by him and created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works. He's saying all these things which are so exciting. And you would think we're going to get this list now. You, these are the good works now. Go, go and do them. And the first thing that Paul reminds this church is he says, therefore, remember. When I was looking up a phrase that I was familiar with, I learned that a Spanish philosopher is the one who's credited with it. His name's George Santillana. And maybe you've said this quote before yourself. But it's those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. I'm sure that you've heard that. I've heard it many times in my, in my life. And this points us to the importance of knowing our past and using it as a reminder for us as we move forward. We actually see this in scripture 
often, if you look at the Old Testament and go to the Old Testament and know much about it, you'll see examples of this, of where God would, would tell Israel to do certain things. And the full reason for it was to remember one, one such case is with, with Joshua. And when Joshua kind of takes over for Moses, Moses' time is done and they're getting ready to enter the promised land and they cross the Jordan River. God very specifically tells them to get stones. Get stones and set them up as a memorial to know so that the people will know. So that when you walk by this with your kids, you'll be able to tell them what God has done here. The work that God has done. And it's important to remember these things. And there's other places in scripture. We see it with Jacob and in, in other places as well. We also see this in our, in our country. That's where I actually heard this phrase about knowing your past was in the school system and being, being told the importance of knowing history. You know, I wasn't a big fan of history class and just all the dates. I, I'm coming to find most of the time what you liked was based on the teacher and how I think how excitable they were or whatever. Uh, but for me, history class was just dates that I had to remember and kind of boring. But I remember in history being told, this is important. And me thinking, no, it's not. I don't care about this. That was a long time ago. This doesn't matter to me at all. But we do know that it's important. It is important. I was, I was wrong in thinking that. And so even as a country, we have special days set aside in our calendar where we remember things from the past. And we're actually supposed to dwell on that and to think about that. And so we have our Independence Day and we have Veterans Days and we have Memorial Day. We have all these things. We have dates that maybe come to your mind where you remember something about the past. Uh, you might think of like December 7th with Pearl Harbor or a big one for us in our generation, September 11th. That date just exists now in our mind as a very difficult day that we went through, that our country went through, that really changed our course of history altogether. And so we think about these things and we try to learn from these things. In our church, here at Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, uh, we have these things in place as well. We might talk, not talk about it a ton, but December 22nd is an important day in our church history. It's when our church was started in 1937. We're actually coming up on 85 years next year together. We have different things that we've set up to try to remember. And we talk about this. It's, an, it's important. Why? Because we have a history even as a church family. It's not perfect. You can go back and find errors, find things that are wrong. But by God's grace, we've grown. By God's grace, we've seen a lot of good things happen because of him. We have these books. Uh, they're not readily available, I don't think, but uh, it was for our 50th anniversary. This was produced within our, within our church, and it's just notes on business meetings and histories and, and all these different things. But uh, Pastor Damon Patterson wrote uh, an introduction, and I thought I would share it with you. I had a good time going through this book this week and just remembering names and seeing different things. Uh, but but Pastor Damon here writes something that I think is kind of equivalent or good to what we will be studying uh, here this morning. In the intro, he says, This year, the recording angel notes another birthday in the lifespan of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. Not many are still present who can recall the excitement of that day when the new life was presented to Monroe with its first cry of happiness. Regardless of how experienced they may have been, none of those attending that birth could predict the future of that life. All indications seemed to prove that it was a healthy child. But who could tell how it would survive the hot summers and cold winters? Who could promise that it would not succumb to doctrinal diseases, spiritual paralysis, weakening malignancy of sin, anemia of selfishness, crippling stiffness of tradition, 
blinding of spiritual cataracts or deafness of repeated resistance to the Holy Spirit. Who could promise that the child would grow and not remain a pitiful dwarf, stunted by bigotry or exclusiveness? Or who could promise it would eventually give up its sincere milk for solid meat of the will of God? At this point, 50 summers and winters had passed, and the child survives, thank God. However, we're all conscious that survival does not guarantee growth, maturity, or health. Let each one of us submit to a spiritual physical today to determine whether we are a 50-year-old adolescent, whether we are full of vitality and spiritual energy, or whether those who attended that birth in 1937 would be disappointed with the development. What's he doing there in that introduction? He's pointing us to remember. He was pointing the church to remember. Oh, it's good to look back of where you've come from, but where are you now is important as well. In this case, are you a 50-year-old child? Or are you a 50-year-old adult, mature in the faith, doing the will of the Lord, serving him faithfully? Pastor Damon saw it important to write that in the introduction to continue to push the church ahead. Maybe in your family as well, you guys find it important to remember, to remember your history or where you have come from. We look back maybe at our relatives trying to see the good, trying to see the bad that maybe has been done in those and learning from both. And I'm sure that you do that. Uh, for many of you, I'll ask you where you are from, and you'll say Tennessee, and I find out that's not true. You were born in Monroe, but your family's from Tennessee. And that means you're from Tennessee. It's because your past is important. It's important to you, and that's okay. And maybe even personally we do this, where we think about our past and where God has brought us, what we have been doing with our life. We see errors. We see some good things. And hopefully we're trying to learn from those, but we don't necessarily forget it. We, we remember it for good reasons. And some of you might say, well, I wish I could forget some things from my past. Well, you can't. But you can't grow from that, and you can't learn from that. And so as Paul comes to this point in Ephesians, what he wants to do is he wants to call this Gentile church, which is very important, they're a Gentile church, and these Gentile believers, to remember who they were before Christ. And again, he goes to this because it's important for them to remember who they were before Christ so that they can fully grasp the greatness of what God the Father has done through his son, Jesus. If you forget your past, you're going to take for granted where God has brought you now and what God has done for you. And Paul understands this, Paul knows this, and he wants to warn them of this. And this isn't new again to Scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10 through 12, it tells us, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Uh, this still hangs on us today. We easily forget where we have come from, right? And the things that uh, God has blessed us with that we didn't do, I didn't earn, that I didn't, I, I have no really good say in it, but I experience its blessings. It's so easy for us to forget that and to take these things for granted. And so look with me in verse 11 of chapter 2, and we'll read through 13 and then dive into it more this morning. Paul would say to this church, Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision 
by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. One of the things that you have to understand when reading scripture is really the Jew-Gentile divide. And I was telling, uh, I think, Pastor Spencer this week how hard it is, I think, to teach on that and to really talk about that because we're so separated from it. We live so far away uh, from that today. But the Jew-Gentile divide is something that we need to understand. Way back at the beginning, when God was giving the law to Moses, we see a separation that was taking place because God had chosen Israel. And so what Israel was told by God through Moses later was to not intermarry with foreign nations. There was a separation that needed to take place there. But also what God had told Israel very clearly was that they were to be a light to these other nations. They were to be a light to them of sharing with them the truth about God, who it is. And, and God actually had in place ways for the Gentiles to become true believers along with Israel. But God also gave to Israel a sign, and this was a sign of the covenant that God was making with Israel, not everybody else. And we see it here in this passage, the sign was circumcision. And Paul reminds this church that he's writing to, full of Gentiles, that they are Gentiles in the flesh. So when Paul says that, he's talking very literal there. We can prove that you're a Gentile. You are not circumcised. You don't have that on you. You are, you are Gentile in the flesh wholeheartedly. That divide is still there. That distinction is definitely still there. But the problem that happened with Israel throughout its history is it turned, it turned this separation into hatred. And it happened relatively quickly, but that's what took place. This separation that God had put in place, but yet still wanting them to be a light to this nations, still wanting them to be witnesses to the world of God's goodness and God's grace. Instead, what Israel turned it into was hate. Israel seemed to miss the point that God chose them to be this light to the nations, and they really didn't have anything to do with it. But instead, they took it as a badge of honor. Circumcision was of the flesh. But Israel saw it as more than that. They saw it as a badge of honor that they could wave around, that they could say they were more important than everybody else, that they were special because God had done this for them more than anybody else. And so this became really a growing problem. I mean, so much so that a quote from John Stott, he would say the tragedy is that Israel forgot her vocation, twisted her privilege into favoritism, and ended by heartily despising, even detesting the heathen as dogs. In one of the books that I was reading, they said that what would what the normal Jewish man would do every morning is he would wake up and he would sit at the side of his bed and he would say this prayer. God, thank you today that I am not a Gentile and I also am not a woman. That's what he would pray every day because of the separation and the hatred that was there. Wanted to just be so thankful because he bore the sign of the covenant as a man with circumcision. So it made him better than a woman, but it also made him much better than those heathen Gentiles. And so they'd actually voice this prayer to God in the morning. 
And so to speak of it as hatred really is as small as what it was. And so there's this huge divide, and Paul understands this probably more than most because he would have hated the Gentile just as much as anybody else, being the good Jewish man that he was. But now God has called him to these Gentiles. He's called them to love them. He's called him to be a light to the Gentiles. But the Gentiles find themselves in a very bad situation, and it's really twofold, and it's what Paul brings up here. They have two great problems. The first one is what we saw in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2, and that is sin. This is the problem that all of us have, even the Jewish people. And Paul talked about this, talking about being dead in trespasses, dead in your sin, with no hope in our sin. We stand before God hopeless and helpless. We can do nothing on our own. And we've talked about this a lot over the past few weeks, and so I don't need to stay on it too long this morning. And so this is one of the problems that the Gentiles faced, was their sin. Well, you can, you can add on to that problem with the Gentiles because they didn't just have a problem with their relationship with God because of sin, but there was a separation between them and the people of God. There was a separation to where they had no opportunity to hear about God or to even know about him or to learn about him because the people who were given the truth, who were supposed to be a light to the nations, were shut up. They didn't like the outsider. I'm going to stay away from you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. In fact, I hate you and I despise you. So with Israel taking their differences with the Gentiles and turning them into barriers, the Gentiles really had no access to God. I don't know how familiar you are with it, but the Gentiles were barred from the temple. The Jewish people would go to the temple to worship and to serve God, and there were very clear signs on the temple. The Gentile people could only go so far. And listen, the Jews were not very uh, cautious with their words. They, they were very adamant to put on the sign very clearly, listen, Gentile, if you cross this line, we kill you. You die. We will stone you to death. You don't deserve to be here. And so there's this definitely this feeling of alienation that had to be on there because I'm sure it didn't just when you got to that wall you were despised they weren't wanted anywhere even being in the court that they were allowed to be in so then the ones who were to share with them the truth of God wouldn't even look at them just would despise them and so where is their hope where is any hope at all if I stand before God in my sin utterly hopeless But now the people who know the truth won't share it with me either. What are we supposed to do? What can the Gentiles do? They're in such a sad state. Hopelessness. Alienation. Completely alienated from God in every facet. And so this problem needs to be solved. And they know that they can't do it. And the Jews are saying, we won't do it. We will not do it. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve our God because you're filthy. And so there needs to be an answer. There needs to be a solution to this. And it's interesting because it comes in verse 13. And verse 13 is very similar to verse 4. Because as we went through verses 1 through 3 together, you remember it was very heavy. It was very weighty talking about sin and that we have no hope. But then all of a sudden in verse 4 of Ephesians, we get the two greatest words to be uttered in Scripture Remember, but God, but God stepped in in what you couldn't do. And now again, we have in verse 13, the same thing. Verse 13, but now in 
Christ Jesus. You. And now you guys need to hear me this morning because this is you. This is Paul talking to me and it's talking to you. You're the filthy heathen Gentile. Me too. I have no Jewish blood that I'm aware of. Maybe somewhere down the road, but my family, maybe we don't care enough about the past as I was preaching about earlier. We should. I'm guessing many of you don't either. And so you're barred just like me. You're a heathen just like me. You shouldn't be touched. And if you are touched, that Jew's now filthy for days. But then God steps in. And the Bible tells us, but that now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Not of my doing, but by the blood of Christ, that Jesus did that, that Jesus brought me near to him. And what the Jewish people would not do, Israel would not do it for me. My forefathers could not do it for me. And I see very clearly that I cannot do it for myself, but yet Jesus does it for me. And so when we look at this passage and we look at these verses, I hope that we see some truths for us today. And I think it's twofold. The first one is that our alienation has been alleviated. The fact that we were alienated from God has been brought to an end by the blood of Christ. God has brought us Gentiles to him through his son, Jesus, and the work that he has done and the finished work that he has accomplished on the cross and by rising from the dead and now being ascended to the throne with God the Father. In Jesus, we see him accomplishing what Israel failed to do. He was the Israelite we needed. He was the perfect Jew that we needed. And we killed him. And we sent him to the cross. And he conquered that too. And in doing that, he brought us near to the throne of grace. He brought us to God. And so we no longer have to feel alienated. I don't know your social status in this world, but I would have to think that everybody in this room at one time in your life, you felt alienated. I mean, it might be very trivial in some situations. Maybe it's you standing with a group of guys and they're talking about cars and you're just like, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be in this conversation. I have no idea what's being talked about. They could be talking a different language at this point and you just feel kind of out of the picture. Or maybe it's with a group of friends that you've been friends with with a long time, but You've kind of grown apart, and then you come to find out they've been getting together, and you haven't. You didn't even hear about it. You didn't even know about it. Makes you feel alienated. Or maybe you've been to a different country before, all by yourself, and you're just out of place. It just feels awkward. It feels weird. You don't even know where to go, what to do. You don't know the language that well. So you feel completely alienated. It's not a fun feeling. It's not something that we like to be a part of. And when we see the Bible and we see what scripture tells us about the church, we, we should understand that the church is a place that this shouldn't exist. Feeling alienated shouldn't be a part of our DNA. It shouldn't be how anybody feels when they walk into this, this, this room with us and gathers with us. And the reason being is, first of all, what we try to say often, Jesus saves the sinner. So when you walk in here as a, as a sinner, you shouldn't feel out of place at all because any of us in here today who can claim to be a Christian, who would raise our hand and say we're Christian, we also have to say, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And so you walking in here as a sinner, feel welcomed amongst sinners today. Feel welcome. Don't feel alienated because of your sin, that's for sure. 
But also we see very clearly in Scripture, you shouldn't feel alienated for any other reason. Color of skin, financial status, education level, whatever it might be, that doesn't matter. Those aren't the things that save us. Those aren't the things that God is looking for. And so I hope that nobody feels alienated when they walk into this room, not because, again, of us, but because of the grace that we've received through Christ Jesus being extended to you as well. Christians may complain at times, feeling alienated from the world. I hear this a lot, probably more and more so as I've gotten older. But of course we are. Of course we are. It seems like a very silly thing to me to complain about that. Oh, the world just shuns us as Christians. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else you expect. If they're not shunning you, probably living wrong. You're probably not living the correct way. You're not living probably how God has called us to live as faithful Christians. The world is going to shun us. We are going to feel alienated. But we have to remember this. This isn't our home. We are aliens in this land. Uh, Monroe County is not my true home. Michigan, for how much I, I love our state, it's not my home. It's not my true home. When the blood of Christ brought me near to him by his grace, I became a citizen of the kingdom of God, which is not of this world. And so I'm not of this world. I'm very different from this world. The, the rules that I want to live by, the morals that I think I need to have according to scripture of what scripture says, I guess you could say the, the code that we walk by is different than the code of this world. It's different. And so we will feel alienated by this world. But part of that reason is this too. That world that we live in, that we walk in, is still under law. They are under the heavy weight of law in verses 1 through 3 that we read in chapter 2 in sin. That's what they carry with them. We don't. Oh, we don't. We don't carry that. I, I don't carry that with me anymore. No heaviness of the burden of law because Jesus fulfilled that for me. We as church family, we as Christians live under grace, not under law anymore. And so we have to understand that. We may feel alienated at work. We may feel alienated with some family members. We may feel alienated in the different aspects of our life. But what Jesus has done is he has actually solved our problem of alienation by bringing us to him. And we should be very grateful for that. We should live in great thanks of that. But sadly, I think a lot of times as Christians, we get involved in that rat race and a little more focused on being relevant and purposeful in this world, forgetting that that's not our home. That's just a warning. That's a warning for me of being careful with that, of, of weighing that in my heart and understanding of when I'm going too far that way. I, I don't want to be alienated by the world anymore. Well, yeah, but you're going to be if you're going to be faithful. Just a little warning, I think, that we see here in this passage. The second thing, this one's a little uh, more difficult, I think, to talk about. But the warning of letting differences divide. We see this in our culture for sure, do we not? Turn on the news, we see the things that divide us. It oftentimes seems like everywhere we turn, 
That is the goal. The goal is to remind us of our differences. The goal is to push our differences. The goal is to press onto our differences and to divide us more and more. And we allow sometimes in our culture uncontrollable differences to divide us. I'm sure you've seen this. I mentioned one already, the color of our skin. Sadly, you see all over the world where this does divide. And that person couldn't control that. They couldn't control what color they were when they were born, how they were born. Or maybe it's nationality. We let our nationality divide us from other nations. I'll be honest, I didn't choose America. But I was born here. I'm thankful that I was born here. But I didn't choose it. I didn't do anything to earn it. I didn't even have to take the test. I don't even know if I could pass the test people have to take to become people of our country, citizens of our country. Yet I have all these privileges. And I have no doubt there are people in this world who would hate me simply because I'm American. But I also know the sin in my heart. There's probably people, when I found out what nationality they were, there'd be something inside of me that'd say, I don't think I like you. I'm just being honest. Our heritage. I can't help my heritage. I, I can't help where I've come from. My family, Italian, also well, this is, I don't think this is derogatory. Hillbilly, that's what I call it. That's what I am. can trace my roots right to it. But there's people who wouldn't like that. Right there, there There's just things in your heart that would be, be difficult to deal with because you find out where they might be from or their heritage or their background. And we, we see this again in culture. Another big one, I've shared this confession with you before, but is pedigree. There's people in this room today, you have money more than others. But that's because your dad did, your grandpa did, you were born into it. Others, you've earned it. And because you've earned it, you look down on those who maybe haven't. I don't know. But we also see this all around, do we not? I mean, in our culture, it's everywhere. Your socioeconomic level will determine who you're friends with or who you can hang out with. And we see this all over the world in countries all over the place. India is one that does this uh, in a big degree. And I think if we're really honest, many of us hold the beliefs that we hold. We hold the the, the things that we uh, trust in or the things that we know, a lot of us hold those things because of the family we were born in. I mean, again, just being frank and honest with you, I had the privilege of being born into a Christian family, and I thank God for that. And I think that played a very big part in me coming to faith in the Lord. I think God really used that in my life, and I, I'm very thankful for that. But I'm sure there's other things that I believe, not talking about eternity, that I believe because... My parents did. I was raised that way. I remember being in Custer Elementary School and we would vote for the president. I can't remember which president, but I don't even remember which one it was. But looking back, how dumb. All those kids voted whatever their parents said that day. All of them, every single one of them. I don't know who any of these people are. I'm in third grade. I couldn't care less who the president was. But they're asking me to vote. And then they say the announcement, you know, over the scripture. Okay, the president that we picked at Custer Elementary was whatever. Again, I don't remember even who was up for it. They all voted because their parents said that. And if I took a poll of us in this room today, raise your hand if the political party you would assign to is the same one your dad would. A lot of you would say, 
Yeah, I do. Some of you would say no, but a lot of you would, right? Why do you like Michigan football? Does your dad? Yeah. Did you have a bad relationship with your dad? Yes. I bet you like Ohio State. That's how it goes. I mean, that's how it goes so often with things, even things that are important. But yet we will let those things often divide us in our life. And I'm not saying differences are bad. I believe in denominations. I believe there are times to associate with other churches and there are times not to because there are some big decisions that need to be made and we're just different on those and we can separate over these. That's okay. So don't, don't think I'm saying that. I, I, I'm not preaching. We just get along with everybody. There's coexist stickers at the Welcome Center. Slap it on your car. I'm not saying that when you walk out of here. But I'm saying I think we have to understand and recognize that sometimes what we do with our differences is we build them up as barriers just like the Jewish people did. We turn them into hate. This is what Israel did. And this is why the Gentiles found them in a position where they couldn't even hear about God because the people who were to be a light to them wouldn't even speak to them, wouldn't even walk on the same side of the road as them. And sadly, this has infiltrated churches and Christians today. We don't want to speak to people who don't believe in what we believe. And we've become almost elitist in our faith as if you had something to do with it. As if you just got so smart that you figured the whole God thing out. And if they want to know about it, they should figure it out on their own. No. Chapter verse 8. By grace you have been saved through faith, not of works. Why? So that no man may boast. But too often I hear the church boasting. We're boasting, we're boasting, and we're boasting about these rules that we have, about these morals that we have. And instead of being a light to the nations, we shun the nations. We push the nations out. We don't want to have anything to do with the nations. We allow prejudice, we allow pride to rule above the gospel. And I would ask of us as Monroe Missionary Baptist Church to not let that be the case here. We don't let these differences divide us. Listen, we stand on the truth of the gospel and we stand on the truth of the Bible and we don't waver from it. I see a lot of churches wavering from it. The SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, facing some issues coming up here in June at the National Convention that are there's some big differences that are happening within the churches that we associate with that need to be dealt with. You don't just wash over it. You don't just push it away. It does need to be dealt with. I'm not saying that. It's sad to see churches uh, just welcoming homosexuality as a, that's a good lifestyle. It's a God-honoring lifestyle. That's not true. We don't see that in scripture. And so we, again, we can't avoid these truths of scripture, but that does not mean we can't be loving to people who think something different. It doesn't mean that I cannot love somebody and share the truth of the gospel and pray for them just as I would any of you. It doesn't mean that I can't walk down the same side of the street as them or maybe even shop at the same place that they shop at or eat at the same place that they eat at. I'm going to have differences with people. And one of the things that should alienate us from the world, but sadly it's not, but what should alienate us from the world 
is that we do not let those differences stop us from loving people. I, if I had, a, if I had a, a request of all Christians, you'd get off social media. There's no love there. That is a place where differences divide. This is, a, this, is, this is not a biblical thing. This is me. I need to step away from the pulpit. This is Tim speaking. It's just a place of division and hate. And, and it, I don't know if anybody's ever been one to the Lord through a tweet or a Facebook post or a Snapchat or anything like that. I just don't know if that exists. I know personally, I don't feel loved at all if you invite me to your shower through Facebook. I feel actually the opposite. You couldn't send me a card? See, cards. <laughs> you couldn't call me? Couldn't talk to me in person? I, I, just to me, that's just how it is. And I, I think it really hurts. It really hurts. And so as a church, I hope that we would see what we are called to according to this passage, but also Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Every kid in here has heard this. Every vacation Bible school speaks of this. It's so simple, but yet we fail at it so often. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus would say, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is what we do as Christians. I do good works. Why? Because Jesus has made me to do good works. And we do these good works to give glory to the Father. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't say, do these good works so people will say good things about you. He says, be a light. Why? To give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That is what we are called to do. And I know that as I studied this passage, as I read all the different commentaries, I was impressed. I was, I was feeling the need to pray and to seek God's face and saying, God, I, how often do I let pride and prejudice get in my way? I mean, really, personally, when I think about it, it's not color of skin often for me, but it will be sometimes socioeconomic status for me. Sometimes it is heritage. I struggle when I go to the South because I think everybody judges me for being from the North. This is just a personal thing. I struggle with it. I think all of them think bad of me as I'm walking down here. And so in return, I think bad of you. <laughs> I, I mean, I, again, that's me looking within and knowing I have work to do in repentance to seek after my God at times. But I'm guessing I'm not alone in this. And so as a Christian this morning, I hope that something you will think about, first of all, is the precious blood of Christ that brought you near when you were nowhere close. And then how often in your life do you push people away because of some simple differences that they might have with you in some philosophy, in some political sphere, in some sporting thing? We think, no, you're not worthy. I was worthy. You're not worthy. Would you be willing this morning to let aside your pride and your prejudice and to seek God's face and ask repentance of that? Ask God to use you and not only you, but us as a church family, as a light, as a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden, that people would see it, 
not because of the demands that we're making to our culture, but because of the love that we have for each other that then spills out that we love them as well because of the goodness of God and what he's done for us. I hope that you'll be able to reflect on that as we get ready to sing this song. I know it's what I've been reflecting on this week. And I know it's been difficult because God continues to root out in my life sin. But I'm thankful for it because I know he's my father as he does that. It's a good thing that he does. It hurts sometimes to see, gosh, another place that I'm weak at. Oh, another thing that I fail in. But I know that that's God loving me, molding me and making me into the image of his son, which is what he does through his word and which is I hope he does this morning in our hearts as we strive to share the gospel with those around us each day. Let's bow together. Let's pray. Matt will come and lead us in a song, give you an opportunity to respond to the word of God this morning. God, I thank you for the truth of your word today. I thank you for the relevancy of it. It's amazing to me how often I study a passage and it just seems to come up over and over and over again. But it's God, it's because this book isn't just some book made by men with some good advice. This is your book that was penned by men through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Your word is what we stand on. It's what we hold to be true. We believe every word of it, God, and we want to live accordingly. And God, we understand that there's a lot of places that we can go in Scripture. I shouldn't say a lot. There are some places in Scripture that we can go, and it's difficult for us to stand. And there there might even be different interpretations out there that people uh, squabble over. But God, for the most part, your word is very clear on your truths. And God, I, I pray that we would hold on to you each and every day, in a world where we might feel alienated often. Maybe it's in our vocation. We, we feel alienated because of our faith. Our boss doesn't like the fact that we're Christians, and we, we just feel alone there. God, I pray that we would understand that's because you've brought us near, and we're not alienated from you anymore. And that's such a better place to be than to be aligned with this world. So God, I pray that you would search our hearts, Help us to repent of any sin that we may have. God, put people in our life to love and to care for. God, I'm thankful that the small groups are starting this week. That's one of the purposes of it. Just to love each other, to be with each other in our homes or wherever we might meet. To show that we care about each other. God, I pray that you would use those small groups for your glory and for your purpose. That we would be light to each other. God, I thank you again for your grace. I thank you for the work that you've done in our lives as Christians that we just simply couldn't do. You're good to us. And I pray that we'd worship you accordingly. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing together. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.